0: It's obvious when something is, that's supposed to be unbelievable becomes undeniable. It's obvious that it changes your perspective. It changes whether or not you believe that individual. We know the story in some form or fashion, or we have been through the story of Easter many, 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 many times. And for some, this might be the first time. And maybe your heart is kind of closed or calloused this morning. Maybe when it came for worship, you just stood there and didn't even sing. And you've become so hardened to the truth of God and because of what Jesus has done. Maybe you today need to go back and revisit what happened on Easter Sunday. Maybe there's some in this room that need to visit for the very, very, very first time. Jesus came many, 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 many years ago. Over 2,000 years ago. He came... And Scripture tells us that he was born. And Scripture tells us that he lived for 33 years. Scripture tells us then that he was crucified. And then Scripture tells us that there's this cataclysmic event that took place on Easter that changed everything Easter morning. Jesus was resurrected. So how does that impact our lives today? What do we do when something unbelievable becomes undeniable? What do you do in order for that to take place in your heart to believe that. Even Thomas himself, who was a colleague of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, he said these words, unless I see the risen Lord and see the holes in his hands where he was nailed to the cross, only then will I believe. And then if you read later in Scripture, there's this moment where after Jesus rose from the grave, Thomas looks at him, literally wants to poke his fingers in the holes, and finally he says, my Lord and my God. The unbelievable became undeniable because he saw it. Think how many times in your life you've said these things. I'll believe it when I see it. But until I see it, I won't believe it. That's why the resurrection account has to find some form or fashion where someone saw it, where someone believed believed it, but they witnessed it firsthand. If it's just a fabricated story, then all Jesus was was a good man that died on the cross. Think about how many times in your life that you've had someone say to you, this thing took place. It's unbelievable when you say, well, i got to see it first before I believe it. Even in our most recent history of some of the dictators that have died. Think about when, when Saddam Hussein was captured. And they said they found him in a hole in the ground. And how in your mind, I'll believe it when I see it. And I remember the first time I saw it, saw the video of him. Where he was at in this hole in the ground, it's like, now I believe because I see. Same with Osama bin Laden when he was captured and killed. We wanted evidence that it actually took place. And so evidence began to come and we saw different portraits and the, and we heard stories and reports, first hand witnesses, and we said, Now I believe. Even like the Grand Canyon, I used to hear that's it's a incredible place of God's creation. It's, you have to see it to believe it. I would see pictures in books. I would watch videos on TV. And finally, a few years back when we went there, I stood there and and literally said, my Lord and my God, look at this place. Until you see it, it's only unbelievable. But once you see it, it's undeniable. The people of Jesus' day couldn't get past the fact that he said he would come He would die and he would be resurrected. Now think about this for a second. Think about Jesus' life. We know from scripture and even from history that he lived. We have no problem with that. He was a good man that lived, that did good things. We could also even believe that he came. And if we weren't certain there was a resurrection, we would say he was a good man that died for a cause. But if that's all there is, then there's not much more. But suppose all Jesus did was come and die, and that he was never truly resurrected. Suppose that the only reason he came was just to be a good man. Truth of the matter is, if that's all there is, then we all are lost without him. Imagine if you could go there today, where Jesus was buried, and there would be a tombstone that said, Jesus, King of the Jews, born 0 AD, died 33 AD. If this was all there is... If Christ's bones were still in the body, as are many other little gods, if you go there, their bones are there. But if that's all there was, if he just came, he died on a cross, and he died in a grave, then he's just a good man. And if that's the case, then there's no hope for us today. There's no hope. We are hopeless. We have to walk through life on planet earth on our own. We have no one to turn to. We have no one to help us. We have no one to rescue us. We have no one to bring us peace when we're down. We have no hope on planet earth. And even for eternity, if Christ wasn't resurrected and there's a tomb that still has his name on it with his bones, then our eternal home is hell. Because there's nothing more. That's it. We die and we enter to eternity of hell because there's no one able to rescue us of our sins. And so literally, Scripture tells us that hell is a literal place. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of eternal fire. It's a place where there's no hope. So if all Jesus did was come and be a good man and perform some pretty amazing things and have a group of followers, and go to the cross and die on Good Friday. And if that's it, and they buried him, then we are without hope to ever be rescued. Think about what that means to us. But suppose there's evidence that the tomb that Jesus was buried in is empty. Suppose there's evidence in history, firsthand accounts, through written record, that Jesus did what he said he would do that would change our future because there would be a God that was able to overcome death and on the third day would rise again. This story carried so much weight that if in fact he was resurrected, it would change everything. Grab your Bibles and I'm going to show you what I mean. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you need a Bible, please hold your hand up. We'll encourage you to put one in your hand. or ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 11 through 15. What if this story really happened? What if Jesus was truly resurrected? What if the tomb is empty? If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. It's our gift to you. Take it home with you if you don't have a Bible. And turn to the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to read this together. Go to the middle of your Bible. First book is Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Matthew 28, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 15. Read it out loud with me. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Ready? Read. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. what story? The story is Jesus really wasn't resurrected. Jesus' disciples came and stole his body. And so the chief priests and elders of the day said, let's fabricate a story that says Jesus really wasn't resurrected. Why? Because he was resurrected. And if the story got out that Jesus was who he said he was, then there would be this large following of people called Christians. And guess what? Many of us are. But even to this day, there's this story. There's no God. That's just, that's just a fabrication. The Bible is just a, a, a metaphor for good things to do. Even in this community, there are people who take portions of the Bible and say, Oh, that's just a metaphor. That never really happened. The truth of the matter is, that kind of story began at the resurrection because they were afraid that many would follow Jesus and become Christians. Let me paint a picture for you regarding our need. We are in need of rescue. You might say, I don't don't need to be rescued. Yes, Yes, you do need to be rescued. We have sin that keeps us away from God. It separates us from God. So before the world was created, there was a God who is alive today in a three-in-one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They devised a plan that we need to rescue human beings of their sin because they can't get to me unless they come through a perfect sacrifice, which is Jesus, which is the cross. We need to be rescued. In fact, Luke 19.10 says it this way. There's mission statements all through our community. If you go into business, if you go into watch a sports team, if you go into a church, there's a mission statement. Jesus' mission statement was this. He came to seek and save the lost. If Jesus didn't die on the cross, every single one of us would be without hope. But if if it stopped at the cross, we would still be without hope. In fact, once you trust Jesus, there's truth like this. Romans tells us this in Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. Now, think about that for a second. Once you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you trust in him, Scripture says this. Those of us who trust him, it says this. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. What that means is this. You don't make Jesus unclean. He makes you clean. Stop letting others condemn you. Quit letting Satan beat you up with the barrage of thoughts that you're unworthy to live, to serve, to receive. We can't or can't be condemned because Jesus took all of our sin, all of our past, all of our addictions, all of our mess to the cross. There's no way he can condemn us. And his righteousness, his value, hey, comes upon us and He substitutionary, takes our sin and gives us righteousness. The cross says to you and me today, you're not too broken, too worthless, and you are with, not without value. Now, in a world that says prove it, that's great news. It means this, nothing that you've ever done or will ever do if you trust in Jesus Christ will ever cause you to fall short of God's love and this relationship with him. Think about this for a second. Here's what that means. The cross screams, I love you. He took everything to the cross. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took divorce, he took your felony, he took that pornography addiction that you're in right now, he took that sin that you committed last night, this past week, he took the rebellious time of your life, he took everything that you've ever done sinful and he carried it to the cross for you. Anybody glad for that, by the way? He took that to the cross for you. And what that means is, that can no longer condemn you because there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So how does that practically play out today? That means this. You might think that the vessel that you live in is worthless. You might think that the city inspector should come and put a condemned sign on you. You might even felt like that this morning. You might have felt, well, there's nothing worthy here. You might as well just condemn this vessel because it's a mess. The Bible says when we trust in Jesus, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus took all of our junk, literally scripture says, he took it all and he took it to the cross. He took our sin, every sin that we'll ever commit. So we're no longer condemned because Jesus took it to the cross. John 3.17 says it this way. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. You will not get a sign placed on you, condemned. Don't walk in here. Don't get near them. They're useless or worthless. Romans 6 says it this way, that we have been set free from sin. Imagine having to carry every sin that you've ever committed on you and carrying the wrath and all the weight And never being free of that. We would just be loaded down and chained. Scripture says when you come to Christ, he sets you free. He strips you of all that junk, all that sin, all those addictions, all those attitudes. He strips you and sets you free when you trust in him. You and I don't need to carry the baggage of our past any longer. Jesus says, I love you. No longer guilty of your offenses. Stop for a second and think about that. Not only does he forgive you the sin in your life, he says, you're not guilty of it anymore. Wait a minute, but I did it. You're not guilty. I took it to the cross. You're not guilty, but last night, but this week, but this past year, but six years ago, I committed this felony. Seven years ago, I walked out. Eight years ago, this morning, he says, but you're not guilty of that. How is that possible? Because Jesus took it to the cross and we can have forgiveness in Christ. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're condemned. And if in fact, Jesus was resurrected, your future is going to look a lot different than this because not only is there hope today, but there's hope for eternity. Think about what that means. The result of a tomb that still has bones in it is hell. The result of your sins is hell. There needs to come a God who would die, but not only die, but be resurrected. He has to overcome death. If he just died for it, then our sins are still hanging on the cross of no value to us. Someone needed to die and be resurrected and to overcome. So what took place? He set aside royalty and the privileges of a king and came to earth. John 1.14 says it this way. Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. He became a man. Jesus walked on earth. Scripture tells us that he was born in Bethlehem. And for 30, roughly 33 years, he walked on planet earth. He loved, he cared. He kept telling people, one day, the third day, I'll be crucified. On the third day, I'll be resurrected. Jesus walked on earth. And so we know that from Scripture. We know then from Scripture that he died on the cross. But if it ends there, we are in trouble. He left heaven for that. Think about that for a second. It says in Philippians 2, it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Pause and think about that for a second. Suppose you had a chance to be God. And then someone came to you and said, hey, I want you to go to planet Earth And uh, I want to know if you consider God being God, um, would you rather be here or down there and go die on a cross? Jesus says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he said, I love him so much, someone needs to go. He stripped himself of royalty, the second person of the Trinity, and found himself landing on earth. Seriously. Seriously. Do you and I like downgrades? We like to upgrade. We're a society that says, give me the shortcut. Give me what my grandfather and my father had. and It took six years to do. I want it in two years. Give me the upgrade. I want more. We live in a society that says, I'm going up instead of down. But Jesus decided to go down. Imagine that for a second. Imagine you're flying and I'm flying somewhere and, and you're in first class and, and you go to the counter and your name gets called and you're waiting on your, your, your airline to fly away. And then as you hear this intercom, your voice comes out, Jim Brown, Jim Brown to the counter. Jim Brown to the United Airlines counter. So you walk up and they said, hey, your, your ticket is being redone. This is what you've been waiting for. We wanna let you know that we're giving you a downgrade like you want it. You're moving from first class, not only first class, we have a wing seat for you. Not by the wing, but on the wing. Now, imagine for a second. Well, where do I sign? I'll just take it. That's what Jesus did. Not only a wing seat, but it meant when you got on the wing, you died. Where do I sign up? Who in the right mind would take a downgrade like that? Jesus did. And why? because he loved us. And he knew this. He knew that our destiny was hell. He knew that our sins would condemn us. He knew that unless he came as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, we would be doomed for hell. And he gave up the rights and the privileges of royalty and the second person of the Trinity to be born as an embryo. Now think about that for a second. Jesus went from angels worshiping him, from the God of the universe to an embryo. Most of you know what an embryo is, but think about what an embryo is. Science tells us that it's the size of a piece of salt. So Jesus went from king of kings to this. Jesus left heaven to become an embryo in a human being. Now, let me ask you, would you leave Godhead, the Trinity, to come to earth and become an embryo the size of a piece of salt for that? Who in the right mind would do that? Only someone that loves. So the cross to us screams, just screams, I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. The cross just screams, I love you so much that I would strip myself of God and the rights of God and the royalties of heaven so that I could become the size of a piece of salt and an embryo to rescue you. Now imagine what that was like for him. Jesus did this because he loved us. Jesus lost some position and stature when he took on this assignment. It was an incredible downgrade. In fact, it was so horrible that scripture says it this way. Look at Matthew chapter 27. This is what he did for his assignment. Look at Matthew 27. Look at verse 27. It says, Then the governor's soldier took Jesus into the praetorium, and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put on his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Where they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Christ took all that for you and for me. And so when I read that, you could might have heard that many, many times, but does that do anything to you? To know that the God of the universe loves you so much that he was willing to be spit upon, cursed, crown of thorns. Does that affect your heart? Or is your heart so callous this morning that it doesn't even do? Well, I deserve it. Listen to me. None of us deserve love and grace like that. And yet Christ left the throne room of heaven became an embryo, walked on planet Earth, and went to the cross because he loves us. Now that is love. And the truth of the matter is this, at any moment on the cross, he could have bailed out and it would have been fine because he didn't deserve it. He was a perfect God-man. Imagine, he could have called 10,000 angels who were armed And I bet they were eagerly waiting and begging for the word to wipe out the whole batch of enemies. I just picture angels just saying, just give me the word. Standing there ready to wipe out all these soldiers and strip him from the cross. Yet Jesus took the full brunt of death and he experienced death because he loves us. You don't get that kind of love in a marriage. You won't find it in a man. You won't find it in a woman. You won't find it in a mother or father. You won't find that kind of love in a job or a vacation or a possession. You can only find it in Jesus Christ. Now imagine having the power to obliterate anyone with a stroke of your finger, yet choosing to set that aside so others could be saved. And that's what Jesus did. And why? Because someone had to bridge the gap to God you see Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to come and by the time he got to the cross most of his followers had left imagine as he was on the cross as he scanned out and these men who said I'll follow you anywhere Jesus I'll die with you Imagine as he's out on the cross and all he saw was his mother and a few followers and the rest of them denied him. Imagine him saying, wow, if that's what it's going to be like, then I'm out of here. Those who were the very closest to him who trusted him. And some of you say, oh, I trust Jesus, but your hearts are cold. You stand in listless worship and you wonder why you're that way. Maybe you've never truly trusted in Jesus. And yet Jesus said, I'm gonna die for you and live for you. Even though you turn away from me, even though you're gonna have this addiction, even though you're gonna divorce, even though you're gonna rebel with your parents and even though you're gonna walk away and even though you're gonna deny me, even though you're gonna be more interested in your jobs, even though you're gonna be more interested in your possessions, even though you're gonna be more interested in men and a a girl or man, even even though I'm still going to the cross because I love you. Don't ever let anyone tell you that God doesn't love you. Just look at the cross. But if that's all there was, we have no hope. Don't let everyone tell you either that you're too evil or your past is too dirty or that you've done too much wrong or that your chaotic condition that you've created is too much for Jesus to redeem. Listen to me. Jesus left heaven because you and I needed to be rescued from our sins. And he just couldn't sit there any longer. And he knows everything that you'll ever face. And he says, I'm coming anyhow. And he's the only one that can rescue you. We needed a perfect sacrifice and Jesus became that perfect sacrifice. Luke says it this way, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus is dead on the cross, but we need it more. You see, there was a moment in history, as we know as Good Friday. And then there was the Saturday that followed, and it was quiet. So day turned to night. All the followers basically left Jesus like you saw in that opening video. They weren't even certain that now, after they saw this brutal death, that anyone could survive and and live again. But while that was happening, heaven just started counting to three. One, two, three. Because Jesus promised on that third day to come out of the tomb and do what he said he would do, overcome death. Even though Friday was one and Saturday was quiet, Sunday was coming, and on the third day, Jesus would be resurrected again. Anybody glad for that? And that's what we celebrate this morning. You see, the empty tomb changes everything. So, is the tomb empty? Or is Jesus just a good man? Is this what remains? Could we go to where Jesus died? And there's a tombstone. If we dug it up and dug it open, there would be bones. If that's all we have, then we are without hope. This is our eternity. This is our present. We have no hope in this life or the life to come. Paul said something about the resurrection. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just a few books over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what Paul says regarding the resurrection. It's so significant to us that he said this. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12 says this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Look at verse 13. If there is no what? What's the word? Of the dead, then not even Christ has been what? And if Christ has been raised, has not been raised, our preaching is what? And your faith is futile. Look what he says in verse 15. More than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. And then Paul says this. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And he wraps this up by saying this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? You are still in your what? Then those who have fallen asleep or are dead in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be more, what? Pitied than all men. Here's what that means. If Christ isn't risen, then I'm just giving deceitful messages. If Christ isn't risen, then I'm just going to live it up. If Christ isn't risen, then there's no reason to live a holy, blameless life. Because you come, you die, and that's it. If Christ didn't do what he said he would do, then we are doomed. We are false witnesses. If Christ isn't raised, then you better stop paying me here at Grace Community Church because I've been telling and fabricating a big lie. But listen, that's not the case. I know firsthand that Christ lived because he's changed my life. I know firsthand because of the evidence in history. I know firsthand by watching they change life. When Jesus invades a life, it changes. You can't deny the evidence. Yet, if it didn't happen, Scripture tells us that we are to be pitied. It was a dark day in history. The followers had left. In fact, Scripture says this, that Mary carried spices to the tomb. Why? She was going to prepare a dead body. So she's on her way to the tomb. In her mind, it's a funeral. And so in her mind, she's going to go and take care of the dead body that's there. So even though she was a follower, she was preparing as if he wouldn't be resurrected. Besides, not many other followers were there with her. Mary was in funeral mode. The disciples had lost hope. Yoder Kulp was on their On their calendar. That's where they were headed. They probably thought Jesus was powerless. But he wasn't. And it was more than a fairy tale. In fact, the guards were more concerned about his resurrection than even the followers thought it would take place. Look at Matthew 27. Look at verse 62 of Matthew 27. Matthew 27 and verse 62. Look what it says. It says, the next day, this, the one after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, they called him Jesus, after three days said, I will rise again. So they asked, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate answered, take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went, made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. I find it interesting. The disciples who believed in Jesus are preparing for a funeral. The not disciples, the people who didn't follow, were guarding the tomb in case he did get out I find it interesting here. They didn't want the disciples to come and steal the body, but at the same time, they wanted to make sure that if that was the plan that Jesus wouldn't be resurrected. They wanted to make sure if he came out of there, they were ready to stop him again. Isn't it interesting those who chose to follow him thought he was dead? And only a few were left. They were preparing for a funeral. And the other ones who weren't followers were ready to stop anyone or even stop Jesus from coming out of the tomb. His corpse was placed in a solid rock tomb. Scripture says a very large stone was estimated to weigh about two tons, 4,000 pounds, was rolled in front of the entrance. From history, we know, and from the Bible, 16 Roman guards did shifts to stand in front of this sealed tomb to protect it. Often, we see from history, and we'll see in in dramas, these, these men who stand there with these skirts. And they're standing in front of the tomb as if they're going to do something. And we place we don't think they have the power. These men were gladiator kind of men. If anyone touched that stone, they knew how to kill. And so there was no way anyone ever could go in and take the body. So if you think a man came and pushed a 4,000-pound stone uphill and wiped out gladiator soldiers, you're kidding yourselves. In fact, if that was the case... Why weren't the soldiers dead around the tomb, the empty tomb? Scripture says something else took place. And these soldiers would fight to death for it. Because an empty tomb changes everything. Look at Matthew 28. Here's what happened. Matthew 28 in verse 2. Look what it says in Matthew 28 in verse 2. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week... Mary, Magdalene and the other Mary, went to look at the tomb. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the what? And sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. You bet they did. When's the last time you saw an angel push 4,000 pounds. And so they stood back and said, whoa, we're not messing with this angel. Scripture gives us credence that there were angels that slew 100,000 with one sword. Maybe that was the angel that came and he just pushed this stone back. And it says that these gladiator type soldiers shook. Even history records that. And it says they pushed back the stone and Jesus left the tomb. You see, Mark tells us that he's not there. And if Christ left and was resurrected and the tomb is empty, it changes everything. It gives us hope today. This is why I lost some sleep this week. This is why I stand here today with so much hope because the tomb is empty. And if the tomb is empty, then Jesus did what he said he would do. And if he did what he was said he would do, he can rescue you. Vacancy means he wants to rescue you. Empty means he's no longer there. Empty means there's hope for you. Let me show you what I mean by that. Watch this.
1: When I was a little girl, I loved getting gifts. I loved birthday presents, Christmas presents, and encouraged my parents to celebrate other holidays including my half birthday. I particularly liked Easter because it usually involved chocolate. (laughs) I love chocolate way too much, but I do. One Easter when I was eight, my parents brought out an exquisite looking gift. It was perfectly wrapped with shiny gold wrapping paper, neatly cut, folded, and taped. You couldn't even see the tape. And on top sat a red ribbon that was just waiting to be untied. I asked if it was for me. My daddy said it was and that it was a very special gift. I was so excited to open it, I could barely stand it. When Easter morning arrived, I was bursting with excitement. I asked if I could finally open it, and, well, they said I could. So I quickly took the present in my hands, untied the ribbon, ripped off the top, and looked inside the box. I stared in disbelief at what I saw before letting out a big old wail. That's right. I cried. Fortunately, My parents knew what I probably hoped it would be, and so they also handed me a bag of chocolates and a stuffed Easter bunny. That's what I really wanted, (laughs) the important stuff. I mean, what do I know? Who knew one day I would see that beautifully wrapped present for what it was, the greatest gift I've ever received? What's even better? is this is a gift for you as much as it is for me. Hopefully you won't cry when you open it. Because you see, the greatest gift you've ever received is empty.
0: And here's what that means to you and me today. If you go back to where Christ was crucified, and if you walk the streets that he walked, there won't be a tomb that still has his bones in it. If you go there, you'll find a place that they celebrate even in history today where he was buried. But it doesn't say Jesus, King of the Jews, It doesn't have a headstone, but if you were to go there today, this this tomb is empty. And so, what that means to us is that Jesus did what he said he would do. Vacancy means he can rescue. Then, history tells us, and scripture tells us, he appeared to over 500 different people. So, why is that important? Because The the unbelievable can only become undeniable if there's evidence. You could fabricate a story and you could say, this is truth, but in my mind, show me the facts. And one of the best ways to reveal empirical evidence is to ask someone who lived during that time, what did you see? What did you remember? Were you there? Did Jesus really die? And one of the best ways is to go to people who knew him well and who knew him better than his own disciples. The very disciples who fled at the crucifixion. The very disciples who left, who were nowhere to be found. Now, Scripture tells us, now history not even the Bible, but if you read in Jewish history, you can go back and listen and read how his followers died. Now listen to these men who were Christ's followers. Look how their lives ended. Matthew, a Christ follower, a disciple, was killed in Ethiopia because he said, I have seen the risen Lord. And they said, will you deny it? No, I've seen him. And they killed him. Mark was dragged through the streets, history tells us, until he was dead. They kept dragging him. Do you still believe that Jesus is alive? Yes, I've seen the risen Lord, dead. Why would they die for something they hadn't seen? Peter, who denied him three times and wasn't even at the cross, was crucified. And his last words recorded in history, I've seen the living God. Why would he die for a lie? Bartholomew, another follower of Jesus, history tells us, was filleted alive. They peeled back his skin and he bled to death, saying, I've seen the risen Lord. Thomas, who said, I'll believe when I see, after he saw Jesus and he said, My Lord and my God, when he could see where he could put his fingers through the hose, history tells us that he was pierced with lances, literally, jabbed and stabbed to death. And history says the reason he was, because they kept saying, do you believe that Jesus rose? Yep, I've seen him, and I'm going to die for him. James the less, another disciple, was thrown from the top of the temple. Why? Because I've seen the living God. Jude was shot to death with arrows, archers, Pulled back bow and arrows and shot him, standing there saying, Do you still believe that Jesus is who he was? I've seen the living God. Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, was boiled in hot oil and beheaded because he had heard testimonies of others who had seen Christ. Now, this one, this is like, this seals the deal for me. You can't fool your brother or your sister. Especially when you live with him. Imagine, Jesus' brother, James. Jesus knew him well, and James knew him well. He lived with him. He, he saw his perfect brother do everything right. He played king of the hill. He got bullied around because of this brother who never got in trouble. He could never live up to him. History tells us this, that James, the brother of Jesus was beheaded and in his last stance before man they asked him do you believe that your brother is the son of god yes i do i've seen him listen you're not going to fool your brother evidence that christ is who he said he was it was so strong and evidence was so powerful that in matthew chapter 28 it says this just listen Matthew 28 says this. When the chief priests met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets back to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this day. In other words, Jesus wasn't resurrected because they knew he was and they know if word got out that there would be tons of followers and guess what? They're at Grace Community Church today because Jesus did rise from the dead. So what's that mean to us? It means that we no longer have to live this life. Christ not only died for the future, but he gives you hope today. You no longer have to be lonely. You can walk through this life because you have a God that you can hold on to. You have a God that will be close to you in adversity and trials and troubles. You have a God that promises never leave you nor forsake you. You have a God that will be by your side. Listen, you can't get that in any relationship other than Jesus Christ. It also means this. If you trust in Christ, your destiny isn't hell. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it means this. It's an eternity With Jesus in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. It means when you breathe your last breath, bank on it. You will face your creator and he'll say, come on in. So what's that mean to you today? It means this. You can have hope no matter where you find yourself today. You can have a God who will defend you. He can bring you peace. In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your brokenness, he can restore and redeem marriages and families. You can have hope beyond the grave. You can fall asleep at night tonight and not worry if you breathe your last breath where you'll spend your eternity because your next breath will be in the presence of a living God and he'll say, welcome home. That's why people follow Jesus. And that's why before the cross they fled, and that's why after the cross the church exploded. And you know why exploded? Because Jesus did what He said He would do, and He rose again on the third day. And the empty tomb says we have hope. Anybody grateful for that hope? Would you pray with me, Father God? This is always the point of any service where the enemy wants to throw thoughts that this isn't true, or I I don't need God, I don't need Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that you would guard the gates of people's hearts right now. Now listen to me. If you're seated out there and and your heart is just thumping, saying, Is this true? Is there a God that will forgive me of my sin and I don't have to carry this guilt and shame and he chooses not to remember my sins anymore? Is there hope in this life? Can I overcome these addictions? Can I have someone who will never leave me nor forsake me? Can I have a personal relationship with the living God and have hope in this world And in turn? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely yes. Yet the Bible says this, we don't even have to earn it. It says it, it's by grace through faith that you're saved, that you're rescued. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. I don't know where you're at in this room, but I know this. Here in the main and the link, there are people. You're living a life of uncertainty. You're trying to make it on your own. Listen, there will be a day you'll stand before your creator, God, and there is not one good thing, not one good act, not one moral thing. You could be the most moral person in the world. And if you don't have a saving relationship with Christ, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And to the pit of hell, listen to me. Maybe you think you have a relationship with Jesus. You were raised in church and, and you're just listless and your heart is cold and it's like just another Easter message. You don't even sing in worship. You're angry and mad. and Maybe it's because you never truly trusted Jesus. Truth the matter, you're probably headed to hell too. When Jesus invades your life, there's change. There's joy in the midst of suffering. There's hope in, in the midst of hopeless situations. There's peace in the midst of adversity. And there's life like you've never experienced before. And it's just a request away. By saying, Jesus, just, I believe and I need hope and I want to surrender my life to you. And I recognize my sin causes me to fall short. Oh, ask yourself today is your heart cold? the callous, and you're just going through the motions, then maybe maybe you've never truly trusted Jesus Christ. And you're headed to hell. And maybe you're here today saying, man, I need hope. Listen, that's why Jesus came. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why he overcame and was resurrected. And that's why his closest followers died. Because they saw the living God. So I invite you, to trust in Jesus like many of us have and have an advocate, a defender, a God who will never leave you nor forsake you by your side. If you want to trust Christ today and you can't think of a time in your life where, where you nailed that decision where you said this is the point where everything changed. This is the moment where I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord. If you don't have that monumental moment in your life, then listen to me. You better make sure today. And if you love to trust Jesus, he says all you have to do is believe and receive. So if that's you, we're supposed to confess with our mouth. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the acknowledgement of something that's already happened in your heart. Would you just pray with me in the quietness of your heart? Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. I trust in the work of the cross. I, I thank you for that. I'm tired of carrying these sins. Please forgive me of my sins. I will follow you. Because you are who you said you are. I'll turn from the direction I'm going of hopelessness and I will now walk the road of hope. I trust in you. I surrender my will. I commit my life to you. Rescue me, Jesus. Rescue me. Save my soul. Just like you have many others. I need you. I need to know today that I have hope rescue me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving myself. Our eyes closed in this moment of a monumental moment for many of you in the link and here in the main. This decision that you made changes everything. Changes your present, your future, and gives you hope. And it's monumental. And it's the greatest decision you've ever made. And And I think you should just be proud of this moment. Be fearful of it. Just say, yeah, I believe. I believe. If you just trusted Christ and you sealed the deal and you said, Jesus, I trust you. I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. Would you do something for me? Just just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just just hold your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Just be loud and proud with it. Say, today's the day. Today's the day. Don't be afraid. Just, Just hold it up. Just hold it up. God, all over this room and I'm sure there's some in the link. There are individuals said, I believe. And now, Jesus, I pray in an unusual way that you would empower them. I pray in the days ahead, Jesus, that you would just cover them with your grace. I pray that you would reveal yourself in such a powerful way that there's no denying that you live within them. I pray for breakthrough and reconciliation. I pray for forgiveness and relationships. I pray that you would... Give them joy like they've never experienced before. And I pray that when they're in the presence of other people, that they would see the change in their life. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment in time. It's eternal and it's forever. In Jesus' name, amen.